You are tuning in to On The Money with Dynamic Funds, a podcast series that delivers access to some of the industry's most experienced active managers and thought leaders. We are sitting down to ask them the pertinent questions to find out their insights on the market environment and navigating the investment landscape. Hello, I'm Mark Brisley, Managing Director and Head of Dynamic Funds, and thank you for joining us on another episode of On The Money. You know, in an unprecedented time where we were all settling into a work from home routine, and by extension, looking to maximize our potential with virtual tools, displacing face-to-face interactions in our business lives, and even in our personal relationships, there's never been a more important time for us to show our very best to our organizations, our clients, and perhaps most importantly to ourselves. Our guest today, Mark Bowden, has been voted the number one body language professional in the world for two years running. So yes, now is the time to sit up straight. And yes, even if you are sitting at home. Mark is the founder of communication training company, Truth Plane, whose clients include leading business people, politicians, prime ministers of G7 powers, and presidents of Fortune 500 companies from firms like Dell, Samsung, Microsoft, and Johnson & Johnson, just to name a few. Mark's highly acclaimed TEDx talk has reached millions of people, and he is regularly called upon by media to comment on body language, around elections, and debates. Mark has written four books on body language and human behavior, and I'm just thrilled to have him here today. Mark, welcome, and thank you for joining us. Well, it's my great pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me here. You know, Mark, I I know when you started uh, all of this, it wasn't in a virtual world. So maybe the most important question I can ask is, even in the absence of how we're communicating now, why is body language so important and part of effective communication uh, in our lives, whether we're dealing with virtual or face-to-face? Yeah, so regardless of whether you are on a camera with somebody or you're in the the real world with them or even if you're sending an email to somebody or on the phone we make up our idea our assumption about other people based mainly on non-verbal data we we look at them we we try to see their behavior we try and hear the tonality of their voice we, we look at the framework around them, you know, maybe when an email was sent, because there might not be any uh, nonverbal data in there other than when it was sent, or does it have a smiley face at the end of the message? And we decide within a fraction of a second how we should view that person, what personality, what character, and also how they feel and intend towards us. We make very quick assumptions. So basically, look, we make assumptions about people, and we mainly do that based on their nonverbal behavior, their body language. So that's why it's so important. You know, Mark, I've often heard that um, someone has a first impression of people within seconds. Uh, when you do meet someone for the first time, and whether it's face to face or now across a video or you know virtual communications platform, is that true? And and is body language playing a big role in that first communication or first interaction between two people? Well, it's it's probably truer than you even think because we can judge somebody within about a one fiftieth of a second. That's the kind of frame rate that our brain has. We can take a new picture every fiftieth of a second and make very quick assumptions. Think about your your primitive fight and flight system. 
it tells out of the corner of its eye if there's movement there that is potentially threatening to you. And that's why sometimes you'll, you know, jump out the way of just a paper bag blowing in the wind because it had the same pattern for your instinct as a predator would have down on the ground. Now, it wasn't a predator. It was a paper bag blowing in the wind. But your instinct, it's better for it to be safe than sorry. So quite honestly, we can make an assumption about another human being, not within seconds, but within a fraction of a second. And that can cause us, that assumption can cause us to do some, some very instinctual behaviors around them, uh, some patterns of behavior that we often call fight and flight. It can literally raise our heart rate and breathing rate before consciously we can control it. That's really interesting. And, you know, if I could rewind back to, let's say, March of, of 2020, when we were all living pretty normal lives, you know, commuting to work and lots of face-to-face -face interaction, looking at your resume and your level of experience and expertise, what went through your mind about how people are going to, in the business context, have to start communicating? And as it pertains to what you do best, how did you adjust and, and where did you see the opportunity to help people be better in a virtual communication world? Yeah, that's really interesting. So for me, the moment I got the information that it was most likely everybody was going to be working from home, you know, in, in terms of those of us that were used to working in office environments where we meet people face to face, once I heard that information, I was straightway to my client saying, look, if you need to influence and persuade people, if getting your message across is still important to you, your people are going to be on video. They're going to be making video calls. Yeah, it would be easy for them to go to their kind of usual thing of being on the phone with people. But anybody who can get on a video call with your client or your potential client is more likely to win more influence and persuasion with them. So what I said was, we really need to start training immediately and getting people used to and, and buoyant and optimistic about getting on video calls with people. Because the sooner they get face to face in that virtual world, the more optimistic their colleagues and clients or potential clients are going to be. So I immediately started to construct some training that was fast and effective for people in their home office to be able to connect with their colleagues and clients and potential clients in a way that was um, very personal and very empathetic, but still very, very professional. In some of the communication that you witnessed by people or your clients virtually, did they forget that body language was still important? Was there an awareness that you felt had gone away? What, what were some of the things you started to see as this evolved? Yeah, so here's the interesting thing is, is say you and I were meeting in our physical office like we would, you know, most of the time. I would be able to see you enter the room and get an image of your full body as you entered the room. And so my instinct would instantly send me a presumption as to your feelings and intentions towards me. It would be going, well, is he, uh, is he you know, upset at the moment or is he happy to be here or is he agitated by something? It would make some quick um, theories of mind 
about you and based on getting a full body image of you. And hey, maybe we walked to the meeting together as well. So so maybe I got some um, some resonance with you. I started to fall in line with your pattern of being and I felt more comfortable with you as we went into that meeting. But now, well, we're just joining each other immediately on video and quite possibly I'm only seeing your head and the image is not really of that higher quality as well. And maybe you're you know, you're visiting me virtually via your laptop, which is still on your desk. So I'm kind of looking up your nose at your head with only uh, the ceiling as the context for you. And just having me tell you that story, it's really obvious how different the context is that I'm seeing you and how much information my instinct can get. And when insufficient data, we default to negatives. So the immediate thing to say is the video call has insufficient data compared to a live meeting as to how you're feeling and intending. So I'm more likely to default to negative. But it's okay because there are ways to countermeasure that insufficient data and influence and persuade you to a more optimistic view of me and our relationship with each other. You know, that's an interesting point that you're making around how much of someone you can see in these video environments. And you talked about uh, the environment around the person as well. I definitely have some questions for you around, you know, what body language entails or what are the components, but how important is the environment that someone finds themselves in? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, let, let me give you an extreme around this so you can understand very clearly how important uh, environment is. Um, if I say to you, it's a sad day for me today, and the environment that we're in is a funeral home, then there's some good reasoning to what you're instantly going to understand. Okay, I think this is something to do with the fact of their, you know, maybe a relation, you know, uh, deceased at the moment. If I say to you, it's a sad day for me today, and all you see is a completely white wall behind me, now you don't have any context, and now what's your brain going to do to work out why it's a sad day? Uh, so let me now put it into more of a business scenario. Maybe I say to you, um, I want to talk to you about the numbers, but you don't see my face. So you don't see that I'm smiling. So now what do you imagine? If I say to you, I want to speak to you about the numbers and you can't see my face and you don't see me smiling, but you don't see me frowning, but are you optimistic or pessimistic about it? So the environment will give us an idea you know, the, the, the facial features, but also the environment that we're in will give us an idea of how should we take this message. And then to further this idea, you may see icons in that background, things in the background. Say maybe you're on a video call with me and, and you're in my home. You may see things in my background that help you understand that I value some of the same things as you. I mean, in my home office environment, I have stacks of books around me that might help you understand that I value books and that I write books as well, because you'd see some of my books. You'd also see images of my family, family pictures, photographs that may help you understand that family 
is important to me. And if family is important to you, then we might resonate around that. At least you might trust me more because you might think, well, Mark reads some stuff, he writes some stuff, family is important to him. You'd also see images of things from around the world. So you might go, Mark's maybe traveled quite a bit or certainly is interested in different cultures, different places that he doesn't uh, live so maybe that resonates with you but if there's no background whatsoever what's your mind got to go on in terms of placing me in relation with you it can only go on what I say but you decide me before I've even said anything so it's really important to set up some kind of background or environment to help people get the best or most accurate view of you. So you really do draw a link that the environment itself is definitely forming a part of the overall body language experience. Absolutely. It's a huge part of it. Um, when, we, when we're working out what somebody is saying, we take in their body language. In fact, well, first of all, look, we listen to sound, obviously. To work out language, obviously sound is important. But the language center of our brain is also connected to the visual cortex as well. So it's also looking at the lips move and it's going, okay, based on the sound that I heard and the movement of those lips, the brain is going, what's my best guess at the phonics that I heard? So now it's constructing an idea of the words that were said, not only from the sound, but from the image. Now it's looking for not just the words, but the meaning. So it says, what do I see happening in the body right now that would help me predict not only the words, but the meaning of this? And then it looks at the surroundings, the context that the words and the mouth and the body are in. And it goes, given this wider context, again, what's my best prediction of what this means and what the feeling and intention is? So look, there's hearing the words and, and knowing the words, that's best done by email. Knowing the words. If you just want somebody to know what you are saying, send an email. But understand, they'll find it hard to predict your thoughts and feelings and intentions unless you write those into the words. Unless you say, let me take you through the numbers and I'm really happy about these numbers, they won't know. They'll have no idea whatsoever and they'll default to negatives around them. Would be my gamble. It won't be the case every time, but over a hundred times of you saying, let me take you through the numbers and there being no nonverbal data, I will win most times on people took the numbers as being negative before they'd even heard them from you or seen them from you. So your body language and your context is incredibly important when it comes to meaning and intention. I'd really love to uh, dive into the physical components then of body language. Could you share with us that when we say that phrase, body language, what does that entail, especially in the video or virtual context? Yeah, that's really interesting because the unfortunate thing is, is there is no such thing as body language. Now, you know, obviously I've written a whole bunch of books on body language and the idea of body language is a metaphor, an idea that we have to make it simpler for people to 
understand. But really, when we're talking about body language, we're talking about nonverbal communication or what some behaviorists would call ACS, which is animal communication system, which means it's not language. It doesn't displace, which means it can't talk about the past or the future, and it can't talk about itself. It's not self-referential. The, the language that I'm speaking right now, English, that's a real language because I can be self-referential and I've just been doing it with you right now. I've been talking about my own language using that language. Body language can't do that. Body language is our system for communicating our feelings and intentions right now. And when we think it's about something in the past or the future, that's just an inference that we have. So what are the what are the things that body language is, or nonverbal communication is made up of? Well, there are many, many things, but let me just introduce you to a, a few. Um, there's something that we call descriptors, which is when, for example, the, the eyes or the head or the body move in such a way that they're trying to describe or show you or illustrate what you're talking about at the same time. So when I said the word illustrate, I actually moved my hand like I was holding a pen and kind of drawing a picture and, and were you able to see me you'd have seen that illustrator illustrating the idea of the word and that would have helped your brain get it a lot better it would have actually excited your brain a lot more than just hearing the word there's something else let me introduce you to this baton gestures so the reason they're called baton gestures is it's rather like a baton that a conductor has it's like a conducting stick and as i'm talking to you right now i'm moving my hands and my head and my face in a way that is mirroring the rhythm of the words that i'm saying and that would, again, help you understand what I'm saying by conducting out the rhythm. I can also have baton gestures that are illustrative as well. Let me introduce you to one more idea, uh, which is self-soothers, um, or some people call these adapters. They're the gestures that happen when we want to comfort ourselves. So it might be, you know, I'm rubbing my cheek right now as I talk to you and that's producing a soothing feeling to me and it might communicate to you that I'm slightly worried about something now that might be true or might be false maybe I'm just feeling comfortable right now that I rub my face but the land of the person uh, giving the communication is not necessarily the same land that the receiver of the communication is in so if I wanted you to know that I'm comfortable right now and not worried, I'd have to tell you that at the same time as doing the self-soothing gestures. Now, all of this to say, when we're on video, we might want to make sure that we are including people being able to see some or all of those type of gestures. Maybe we want them to see some of our baton gestures or our illustrative gestures. Maybe we don't want them to see so many of those self-soothing gestures, but because of the nature of a camera, it shuts off some of the image from people and shows some very specific image. So we may want to make sure that sometimes our hands come into the frame so our audience can see those illustrators or baton gestures. You know, one of the questions I had for you as well was not everybody is perfectly comfortable 
being seen in, in the video context. Um, they maybe have scripted some of their notes. They maybe have some written points down. Now they have to also start thinking after listening to this podcast, oh, I've got to get my head around all the physical attributes I'm doing and, and just getting overwhelmed. Are, are there some best practices or ways to prepare or things they can do to feel more comfortable, make it seem more natural? What's been your experience there? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the main thing to pay attention to is that everything can be learned. If you don't think you're comfortable right now or you don't think you're that good at it, don't worry because you're only going to get better each time you try it out. My guess is, is, is when you started doing this podcast, which you're, you're great at now, my guess is the first few times you started interviewing people, probably if we look back, you know, you're maybe not so good. You know, I'm not saying you were bad, but my guess is you've improved over time. And my guess is also you probably started listening to some other people's podcasts and going, God, you know, I really like this podcast. What is it that I think they're doing to be a really good interviewer? And could I do the same things? So look, here's what I want people to do is to know that you can learn how to be a great communicator on camera. Uh, watch some people who you think are really good and think to yourself, what is it that they're doing, you know, verbally and non-verbally? What is it they're doing? How are they presenting themselves? What are they doing physically that I think makes them good? And can I do some of those things? Now, it's not can I copy them? It's can I do some of the same behaviors, my version of the behaviors that I see them doing. So it's very, as some people would say, you know, authentic to you. It's your version of the best practice. So look, let me give you some, some best practice that I think everybody can do. And I think you'll probably see this in really good presenters, whether they're doing a podcast or whether they're on video in fact I think what you're going to see is a lot of open body language and that is to say look if you imagine uh, a big roaring fire and it's a cold day and you come in from that cold day to that big roaring fire what do you think your body would do well your arms would open up your chest would open up you you display more of that kind of stomach area and the front of your body because you you you'd, you'd hold your head up you'd 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 be you'd be prone to more of the warmth you'd make yourself prone to more of the warmth now think about closed body language that's like when you go outside and you think oh god it's a bit chilly now and you start to tuck in your elbows into your ribs to stop the heat escaping from underneath your armpits uh, if you're standing still you maybe end up crossing your arms to keep yourself warm that way and your head tucks in and your shoulders come up as you have this kind of turtling behavior to keep yourself warm and now your body isn't prone to the elements it's protected so look when you're on camera just think about being more open and think about the warmth. Think about, can I imagine that that person down the other end of the camera is a warm fire for me and I'm kind of basking in the glow of that heat when it could be so cold outside of that. Keep that image in your mind and practice some of the body language and behavior that comes around that. And I guarantee that your ability on camera will improve immensely.
Mark, so many of our listeners are going to be people that work in the capacity of providing financial advice. And a big part of that, obviously, in any communication is the building of trust or the maintaining of trust. Um, in your experience, is, is body language something that could actually be a detriment to trust if not used appropriately? And have you seen in the virtual context, you know, bad examples or areas where we should think about or be aware of and how we're conducting ourselves? So let me give you a number one thing that I see quite often, which is not only about body language, but it's about a, a kind of a cultural context as well, which probably won't win you much trust. If you're on video and you have your window behind you, and so there's a lot of light coming in the window, which means that the camera chip won't quite know what you're meant to be focusing on. And it, it, it just believes if something is lit, that's the focus. And if something is dark, that's not the focus. So when you're in front of a bright window, what happens is, is you go very, very dark into silhouette and the light becomes very, very bright, which means I can't see your face very well anymore. And now I've got insufficient data around what's happening in your face. And when insufficient data, I default to negatives. And so if you want to start telling me about the numbers, the great product, the service that you have, I'm sure you have great product, great service. I'm sure you have product with great numbers. But my instinct is going, uh-oh, can't see the face, insufficient data, default to negatives. And I'm not optimistic about anything that you're telling me. Now, I want you to put on top of this that there have been news items and films and media after media after media that tells me when I see somebody in silhouette, I'm looking at somebody who's part of some witness protection scheme, which means they're either a criminal or they have information on criminals, or they're on the run from criminals, or the police, or some kind of terrorist organization. This isn't a good look for you right now in terms of trust and credibility. So look, we have this thing of our eyes, our eyes look towards the light. So can you get light onto your face and light yourself up as well as possible so that we can see what's going on on there. And that will give you way more trust and way more credibility and way more optimism around your product, your service, any numbers or ideas that you're putting towards people. Mark, when I think of communication in virtual or even face-to-face, -face, I, I kind of break it down into two groups. One is, you know, presentation, where we're making a presentation. The other one is conversation. And I think most of our listeners today, the dominant use of technology or virtual communication tools would be for conversational purposes. Are there some best practices or things you've observed that make a, a conversation over a virtual um, technology platform more effective or some best practices that make it seem more natural and more engaging? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this will resonate with people is that if you've got a deck and there's, you know, a slide deck and, and there's every reason to have one, you know, especially in financial areas, there are some great slides, there's some great numbers to look at, there's some great charts that really make the point. But the problem is, when you start presenting uh, from that slide deck, it's easy for it to easily slip into full on presentation, you know, look at my charts, let me talk about this, let me educate you, rather than allowing for conversation, which is, 
you educate me, I educate you, you educate me, I educate you. We, we understand each other. And again, the slide deck can push us accidentally into presentation rather than conversation. So here's a technique to avoid that because I think sometimes it's really worth avoiding is put up your slide and then instantly make it conversational by going, take a quick look at this and let me know what hits you immediately about it. So I already had my say because I showed you an image. Yeah, I now want your understanding of this image, how it is right now. Give me a feedback on this. Tell me what numbers stand out for you. What do you think this means right now? Or, you know, have a look at this number here. What does that mean for you in the context of your portfolio at the moment or the way you're thinking about your life or your investment? Throw it back immediately for conversation rather than getting stuck into, let me take you through all the numbers. Let me tell you what we're thinking about it. Let me tell you, you know, why the portfolio manager has put it together like this. It's, it's immediately throw it back for their idea around it and and that will make it even more conversational and stop you slipping into presentation i've had a couple of interesting conversations with uh senior uh clients of ours that have let demographics slip into the conversation and by that i mean some of my more elderly clients or people that were not as technologically savvy they're not interested in in jumping on to the virtual communication platform I, I question that or challenge that. I know if you're a grandparent, you've probably been using FaceTime for years. What's been your experience? And, and are you making a huge mistake as a business person to assume that the, the demographic status of someone, especially related to age, would be a reason to not use this as a communication tool? Well, I think you're absolutely right. The reality is, is anybody telling you, you know what, I don't really like or use that video, you just spoke to your grandchildren via it last week or at the weekend. So, so the reality is, is you are most likely using it. Maybe not the platform that I was inviting you onto. So maybe we need to find a way to get you onto that platform, or maybe I need to find a way, you know, within, uh, you know, the confines of the organization to get on a, a platform that you're already on. But I think you have to offer people how much better the communication will be, how much more they'll be understood, how much quicker the conversation will be if we can see each other. And that's the kind of offer that I will make. I'll say, look, um, I know you might be used to talking about this over the phone or face to face, but what I've been finding recently is if we can get on FaceTime together or if we can get on Platform X together and converse around this face-to-face, -face. the whole conversation goes much quicker. I really understand what you need and I can serve you better and you get a better result out of me. And actually, the whole meeting is way shorter as well. So offer them a compelling argument for getting on this uh, platform where everybody can see the non-verbal and, and you can be in their home with them, which has huge value. Uh, and they can be in the home with you as well, and they can see how your home life resonates with theirs. And, and I guarantee if you make them that offer, uh, you're going to have much better meetings and be more influential and persuasive for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, and you've been on this platform, things like TED Talks have shown us that listening to a lecture or a more lengthy presentation has just had so much more impact with being able to see the person deliver it. It's It's been astounding at how popular a vehicle that has become for, for learning. So what's important about that is that TED Talk is... 12 to 15, maybe 20 minutes maximum of one person talking. So if you've got a presentation and you're going over 20 minutes, you are pushing against an ocean tide of media that that people enjoy. You're going, yeah, you know what? I think I've got something better than a TED Talk for you via video. Uh, you may well do. But, but, you know, Ted, Ted has had some, some great, great speakers. They still only get to do 20 minutes. So, you know, I, I think you've got to think about exchanging length of time for engagement. And those TED Talks are engaging because they're short and compressed and they open up a conversation with others. They cause you to go, go to your friends and family and go, you've got to listen to this talk it was really interesting they were saying this and i thought this and what do you think about that it's it's to open up conversation not to necessarily educate people in the totality of that that area mark you've uh, dealt with some pretty heavy hitters in your career in terms of uh, public profile people business leaders um, I wanted to kind of close off today's discussion with you, and you've been very generous with your time around some of the people that you think have made really nice adjustments from being in a world where there was typically face-to-face -face or you know, being able to get in front of their audiences to now doing a good job in the virtual world. Are there, are there some, some clients of yours been really impressed by or proud of and how they've made that migration? Yeah, so, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to name names for you because else I'd have no business. Um, but, but what I will say is that what I've seen the best of them do is allow people uh, into a more intimate part of their life, to allow people into their home, to let people see things that are uh, icons of the life that they live so that people understand that those leaders have some strong similarities, some strong resonance with them. They value some of the same things. If you can let people see visually some of the things that you value, you'll get way more resonance. So it's about being, in my experience from the clients that I've seen who've been excellent at this, being a bit braver about showing people a little bit more of you and the life that you generally uh, lead and that you're under some of the same confines and same pressures as they are. So just take a little bit more risk around showing people more, I think is the answer that, that, that many great communicators have, have taken around this and been very successful. Well, Mark, this has been really insightful and very relevant to the work that we do and the work we do with our clients. And, and the most important part is the work they do with theirs. I want to thank you for taking the time today. And I have to say, um, it's really nice that we have people in the world with the expertise like yours that have translated quite smoothly uh, to a, the more virtual context. So just thrilled that you were able to join us today. Oh, thanks so much. If you need me back anytime, you know where I am. You've been listening to another edition of On The Money with Dynamic Funds. 
For more information on Dynamic and our complete fund lineup, contact your financial advisor or visit our website at dynamic.ca. This audio has been prepared by 1832 Asset Management LP and is provided for information purposes only. Views expressed regarding a particular investment, economy, industry, or market sector should not be considered an indication of trading intent of any of the mutual funds managed by 1832 Asset Management LP. These views are not to be relied upon as investment advice, nor should they be considered a recommendation to buy or sell. These views are subject to change at any time based upon markets and other conditions, and we disclaim any responsibility to update such views. To the extent this audio contains information or data obtained from third-party sources, it is believed to be accurate and reliable as of the date of publication. But 1832 Asset Management LP does not guarantee its accuracy or reliability. Nothing in this document is or should be relied upon as a promise or representation as to the future. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compound total returns, including changes in unit values. And reinvestment of all distributions does not take into account sales, redemption, or option changes, or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.